Writers Forum. Media through a Muslim lens. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to the Editors Forum show. Of course, uh, the show was on a break for the month of Ramadan, but we're back in action tonight and certainly a lot uh, to chat about with uh, all the latest political developments in our country. My name is Tasneem Adams and I'll be with you for the next half an hour or so as we try to unravel what's been in the news this week. Of course, uh, so much to have chatted about over the past month, uh, looking particularly at... um, Issues like the Gupta leaks and uh, the uh, Concord's decision on uh, the motion of no confidence vote, which is set to take place in Parliament uh, this coming Thursday. The continued saga surrounding ESCOM. But more importantly, this week, the ANC's National Policy Conference, uh, which is underway at NASRIC uh, Convention Center in Johannesburg. And uh, that is, of course, a trending topic uh, for the past few days as the ANC uh, at least tries to renew its policies and uh, perhaps turn things around within the party itself. Of course, we know uh, on the side of the policy conference are the talk on the succession debate, the various factions and their feelings towards Jacob Zuma and what's emerged uh, from the Gupta leaks at the moment. But of course, the real big issue and the more serious one is the ANC's policy documents and how this is meant to inform uh, discussions uh, at the ANC's policy conference. Now, some of the conversations that I'm picking up are, are that the um, the ANC's policy documents, which are meant to inform uh, the discussions taking place, are not really new um, and there are concerns about how it's going to impact on governance and despite these concerns about how it's going to impact on governance you know some saying that the ANC seems unable to deal with the very uh, root issues of corruption uh, in a more decisive manner as we know the party is uh, caught up in a very bitter uh, and quite divisive leadership struggle at the moment ahead of its elective conference in December, which we know is certainly going to be fireworks. But certainly this uh, past few days, an important uh, platform or forum for the ANC to look at its issues of internal renewal, uh, to deal with the party's internal strife and to take a reflective approach to uh, the challenges, the socioeconomic challenges facing the country at the moment. And now someone who is uh, who has been covering the ANC policy conference in uh, quite a bit of detail and who has been broadcasting from the center himself is Malala Suleiman Ravad from Reda Islam. He's the program manager and host of the morning breakfast show. Malala uh, having broadcasted there over the past two days and who is fresh back from his trip from Canada Canada, uh, where he spent uh, two weeks towards the end of Ramadan delivering a series of Ramadan-inspiring lectures. So that's very encouraging to hear, Malala, obviously very busy over the past month or so. Malala, assalamu alaikum and welcome back. Good to have you back on air with us. Malikum assalamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you, to your listeners. I hope you had a great Ramadan and a fantastic year. It's great to be back. 
absolutely. Of course, uh, this month very busy for all of us at the radio station, but uh, definitely a very productive and successful month, alhamdulillah. Uh, Molina, you are at the ANC's National Policy Conference. Today was day five. Uh, you know, you, you try and cover a little bit. If you're not there, it's quite difficult to keep up. But of course, um, you know, covering or following at least on, on social media and on, on Twitter, you know, what are the analysts saying? What are the reporters saying? But it seems as though many are saying, you know, there is discussion after discussion, uh, critique of, after critique, but very little solutions coming from the uh, the NPC. And, you know, at five days, it's a bit too long. Uh, what is your take on, on what you've seen so far? Yeah, look, it's already now the second last day. Uh, today, the, uh, the different uh, committees are going to be wrapping up their respective sessions by lunch. And then after lunch, uh, they're going to have the plenary where they all come together in one major session and give feedback on what they've discussed. And then uh, the plenary continues tomorrow morning and then they have the closing tomorrow afternoon. Basically, it doesn't come to an absolute conclusion here. Uh, the documents were circulated in advance. So they deliberated over at advance level. They consolidated it provincially. They came here. They had debate. They tried to um, uh, sway each other, uh, convince each other. They draft resolutions and that goes now to the elective conference. Uh, in December, where they will ultimately vote. And that's only the time when we'll know whether it becomes policy or not. Uh, so on, on that note, actually, the elective conference is going to be in, uh, in Gauteng this year in December. And according to City Kodwa, who chatted to us yesterday, they're very impressed with the facilities here at NASRAC. And they, they in all likelihood, would be preferring NASRAC over Gallagher Estate. So uh, this time around 4,000 delegates, they're saying they're expecting up to 7,000 delegates Come December, I think the big thing for the ANC at this particular conference was to ensure that the factional battles did not spill over. And I think in the first two days, we got a sense of the tension, especially Zuma's speech, taking a swipe at the veterans, Lindiwe Sisulu kind of hitting back, some of the veterans hitting back. But then it calmed down. Uh, you get a bit of an impression of, of, of tit for tat. Cyril Ramaphosa goes walkabout on Sunday, then Zuma does the same thing on Monday. But so far, I think the NC has been very successful in creating this image of unity. Whatever's been happening, has been happening behind closed doors. And this time around, there's been very strict security. The media are totally off limits, more so than before. Uh, to this extent that, like, for example, yesterday, when the media were allowed to accompany Zuma on his walkabout, uh, you know, they were totally contained, kept in a group, not allowed to leave, not allowed to interact with delegates, even when you go for the breakfast in the morning, where the different ministers were addressing uh, business uh, leaders and, and people of influence, uh, very strict in, in, in how you enter and exit. They're not allowed to just go to the bathroom uh, on your own, etc., etc. So they've been very careful. I think they know that there's a lot of division in-house. And then so far, when we spoke to Gwede Mantashe this morning, he had this broad smile. He looked very relaxed. He, he seems to feel that they've succeeded in that regard. They haven't just, you know, it hasn't been uh, a spillover. Now, what's been happening behind closed doors, we don't know too much. I mean, we, all we can rely on is, is the media briefings that are given by the respective uh, people who have been mandated to communicate. There has been a few leaks here and there. We talk about uh, the economic transformation subcommittee uh, uh, meeting getting very heated there. Derek Hanakom was forced to apologize for referring to some of Zuma's policies as, as rubbish, etc. But none of that can be confirmed. Now, Gwede Mantashe has been saying the discussion has been very robust. And uh, he's hoping that, uh, you know, when, 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 when the delegates, um, when, when ANC members are in isolation, there's a lot of speculation, there's a lot of assumptions at branch level, but when they, when they all come together, a lot of these things are ironed out and cleared up. And he's hoping that, uh, you know, that they're going to move forward now on these policy issues. 
the, the key policy focus this team has been on radical economic transformation. Uh, there's been a lot of play on words. We've heard the vice president come out and say, well, he would prefer it be called radical socio-economic transformation. Uh, Enoch Godangwana, who is the, the head of the subcommittee for radical uh, for economic transformation, said that was the original wording. Yesterday we heard now they, they may be doing away with white monopoly capital and just referring to monopoly capital. But, um, you know, the analysts have been saying that uh, the policy documents were studied leading into the conference, and then there was a lot of analysis on that. Uh, the key thing here for the ANC, and I think the leaders have also been acknowledging this, is whether they can implement it or not. One interesting piece of analysis that came to the fore was that, look, everyone is figure, uh, fingering Zuma uh, for, for, the, for the chaos of the economy, but in reality, where's the SACP and COSATU? They are the ones who pushed for the abolishment of gear, they are the ones who pushed for new policies which haven't worked in the last 10 years uh, subsequent to Polokwane. So Zuma cannot be the, the, the poor guy alone. Uh, the alliance partners need to take uh, their share of the blame. Another aspect is everyone's obviously been looking out to see for, in terms of the leadership uh, contestation, who has the upper hand. Now, in the first few days, there was a lot of talk about the fact that Gautam Antashe got, got to go ahead and, and give his diagnostic report. And some saw that as, as a blow for the Zuma camp. Uh, also, the, the, the change of words, slight change of words from, you know, white monopoly capital to monopoly capital. Uh, some are saying that that shows that Ramaphosa is prevailing. Others are saying not necessarily. I think Zuma camp also realized that changes have to take place to appease the markets. But I think in the last few days, many analysts have been saying it's just too difficult to tell. It's too difficult to tell. Uh, for sure, Ramaphosa has got much more momentum than he had a few, a few months ago. The campaign is definitely on. It is closed. But uh, Zuma is, is quite on strong footing and he's showing uh, quite a bit of strength. He's showing uh, quite a bit of, uh, of confidence. Now, the, the big question that, that many people have been raising, and I think this is the question, the ANC has been talking a lot about organizational renewal. They, they've been very candid, very clear, and look, we've gone through a very difficult period. We're at a very low point, but we can pull ourselves out of this. Dali, uh, Dali Tambo was here uh, at our studio long ago, and he said, look, uh, my father had to steer the ANC through a very, very difficult time that I'm quite uh, confident the ANC will come out of this. Uh, we have the, the, the struggles of incumbency. Uh, we, there is waywardness that sets in from time to time. But uh, the, the strength of the ANC is in the length of breadth of the country, the various branches, and ultimately that strength will prevail at the end of the day. And that's the big question. Can the ANC come together? Uh, because they seem, they, they seem to think so. Some analysts are skeptical, feeling that too much has happened. Uh, there's a lot of talk about a compromise that uh, maybe the two camps are starting to realize now that uh, a, a unity slate may be the way to go. Uh, David Mabusa seems to be positioning himself as kingmaker, not really nailing his colors to the mast in terms of the policy discussions as to which way he's leaning. He brings an entire province behind him. But then if Matthew Spoza's uh, campaign gets going, he, he may split that province. Uh, but in the end of the day, these things are not clear-cut. Would Mabusa be willing to give David Mabusa... Uh, the vice president uh, position, knowing his dubious track record, that's uh, Mabuza's dubious track record. On the other hand, if you talk about a unity slate, how would you then uh, resolve the issue of the top post? Because uh, Zanat Lamini Zuma would want nothing less than position of president, keeping in mind her profile and her track record in the ANC. On the other hand, Ramaphosa wouldn't want to serve another five years as deputy president. They may be able to resolve the other issues by expanding the ANC's top six to a top nine, something that, that we understand they are going to resolve before the end of this conference. So those are some of the issues. But uh, the one question I like that uh, Susan Boyson asked, and she said, OK, so the ANC is talking about renewing itself and, and, you know, creating this unity and picking itself up by the bootstraps. 
But where's the impetus? We're not seeing the impetus. Who's there that's going to drive this? Uh, and the other question is that, okay, the policies are there, but um, where are the solutions? So show us what solutions you have in mind in terms of implementing the policies that are going to be decided upon uh, at this particular conference. This afternoon will be a key point, uh, this name, because this is when we get some feedback in terms of what those resolutions are looking like. And then uh, tomorrow also uh, will, will be quite important. And I think uh, that's when people will have uh, more comprehensive analysis as to which way this conference went from a policy perspective and more so from an indication as to who's got the upper hand in terms of the two factions. All right. Now, I just want to go back to, uh, you know, this whole concept of radical economic transformation. Of course, we know that many of the uh, economic cluster ministers are... Uh, sort of very close to the Gupta family and, you know, in the minds of the public or in terms of public perception, uh, this idea of radical economic transformation has come to represent, uh, you know, an agenda uh, sort of in line with state capture. Um, how has this sort of been uh, debated and is there a, um, a clear understanding on what this concept is going to entail? I know you were speaking about, uh, you know, a discussion around the changing of the wording, uh, but is there a clear idea on how this is going to be taken forward? Look, the best indication we got thus far, this thing was from uh, Natim Cheto in his briefing yesterday. And he said, look, you cannot just totally uh, remove this, this, uh, this white monopoly uh, capital from the political equation. He said that you can disagree with the way it's phrased or you can disagree with the way it's being utilized, but it's a reality. And he said if you deny it's a reality, then you're denying the, the legacy of colonialism and apartheid. On the other hand, he said that the ANC also then needs to be careful that white monopoly capital does not become uh, black monopoly capital. So he seems to have been indicating that, look, the way we're looking at it is that uh, let's, let's be mature and constructive uh, about this whole discussion. Inequality is a reality. The fact that the minority control, uh, have the majority control in the economy is a reality. The fact that outside uh, countries and outside forces have a big say in the way our economy goes, the whole BRICS versus Western powers issue is a reality. We cannot deny those realities. Let's embrace them. But at the same time, let's go forward in a way where this issue is not used to serve the interests of individuals or factions, but rather to serve the interests of the country. And I think that, that's balanced. Um, although what he may have said is, is what the ANC is saying in theory, what it does in practice is, is another thing altogether. Many analysts are saying the same thing, that this, this whole concept of wine monopoly capital is, is, is an important one. It, it's an important issue that the EFS has raised and the ANC has kind of uh, taken over to, to perhaps steal the thunder of, uh, of the EFF. But um, the fact that it's been used as, as, a, as a political tool by factions and the fact that it has been used as a red herring and as a, as a distraction uh, every time the, 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 the misdemeanors or every time the shenanigans of the Guptas and the politicians aligned to them has come to the fore, I think that is where the problem lies. Yeah, now let's talk about that. Obviously, uh, the Gupta leaks was uh, one of the biggest issues to emerge uh, in the pace of the past two weeks or so. Are these current affairs issues, these very pertinent and uh, urgent matters being discussed at the conference as well? It was uh, on the first two days, this thing, uh, in light of, of uh, the president's report and in light of Lindy uh, West Isulu's comment that all those ministers uh, who are in bed with the Guptas, if they are found guilty, uh, you know, they should, they should be fired. But subsequent to that, uh, this, this, this Gupta issue has gone rather quiet in, in terms of, uh, if you look at uh, um, the, the discussions that have been taking place here, the media briefings, and also the interviews given by, by the various uh, politicians. There was some talk yesterday 
that Claudio uh, Mozzoneng was trying to uh, to enter the, the premises without media accreditation and uh, wanting to to um, to go to ANN Seven Studios to do some analysis. And there has been some focus from the mainstream media on ANN Seven and and their bias. But apart from that, in the last two or three days or so, this Gupta aspect has uh, has pretty much. Uh, kind of uh, remain in the background. Just on a side note, I mean, this is not something that necessarily, you know, would be prominent within the media. I know that Fatah al-Hamas also wrote a letter to the ANC ahead of the NBC last week. Um, you know, issues of international solidarity and international human rights, um, what have you picked up on that? And is the ANC's policy on the issue of Palestine perhaps going to be changing or has it been discussed at all? That's a very good question, Justine, and the answer to that is we simply don't know. As Gwede Mantashi was bemoaning this morning, he said the media have simply been focusing on the two aspects, uh, the, the, the economy and, and land. And obviously, that's in terms of policy and in the broader context, uh, the, the leadership. He said that there are issues of education, health, the national health insurance, this issue which you have raised in terms of foreign policy. We are hearing nothing. Even the, the mainstream media houses that, that have delegates uh, that, that are feeding them information from within. No one seems to be speaking about it. So let's hope that that will come to the fore, uh, inshallah, uh, in this afternoon's briefing than tomorrow's briefing. All right. And then any final words from your side, Manana? Yeah, look, I think this is key. That some people would find it a bit uh, too intricate. You know, policy, the, the elective conference is more uh, interesting. But in the end of the day, whether you support the AMC or not, whether you agree with their politics or not, they are the ruling party. They are going to be a major contender to, to continue to be the ruling party uh, post-2019. And uh, therefore, as citizens of the country, the policies that they take and the discussions that they have has a relevance on all of us. And I think we need to keep abreast in that regard. Let's hope that they can, um, they can, they, they can come to a point where the, the policies are sound and that, uh, you know, that there would be some degree of maturity and uh, we cannot expect too much in the next six months. I mean, look, you're contesting for the leadership of the ruling party. There's so much at stake in terms of, uh, you know, for people's political careers, in terms of people's interests. Uh, the gloves are going to come off. There's going to be blood on the floor. But let us hope that it all moves in a direction where after December, the ANC can, can, um, can, can, can move in a direction uh, which, which serves the, the, the party well, but which also then serves the country well. All right. On that note, shukran so much to you, Molina. And of course, uh, hopefully next week we'll get a more uh, rounded update on uh, the conference and the outcomes of the conference. And all the best to you, uh, to you guys uh, as you continue your broadcast there. Always a pleasure to see Jazakumullah for the opportunity. Shukran. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Editors Forum. Media through a Muslim lens. Assalamualaikum wa wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Editors Forum Now. Of course, uh, we're back after the break of the month of Ramadan. And also joining us now um, in this part of the show, somebody that was uh, part of the show before and now he's wearing a different hat. He's now the news editor uh, at CRI in KZN is Muhammad Sheikh, who we haven't chatted to for a very long time. Uh, Muhammad, assalamu alaikum to you and uh, welcome back. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh taslim. Wonderful to be back with uh, the esteemed listeners of Voice of the King. Yeah, so you now with CRI in KZN. Just tell us a bit more about uh, the shift in position and what does it bring with? Uh, what challenges is created? 
Absolutely. Uh, Channel Islam International is a satellite, uh, Islamic satellite broadcaster, so uh, broadcast globally, uh, vast listenership across uh, Southern Africa, including uh, other continents as well, including Europe and Australia as well. Um, we have a wide global network and a global reach, which is fantastic. Uh, we can appeal to a much larger uh, audience base, um, focused largely on uh, issues surrounding current affairs, not just locally, but internationally. Uh, there's more of an international uh, element to it, but also uh, looking at the alternate news angle, always um, keeping uh, strictly towards the idea of a global Muslim community and bringing uh, the news basically closer uh, to this Muslim community as well. So it's, it's, it's been fantastic uh, time thus far. I've only been here for about a month and a half now, but really looking forward uh, to uh, some wonderful uh, programming and uh, doing some wonderful work as well, including uh, being a part of the editor forum once again. Excellent. And of course, uh, we wish you only the very best uh, as you take up this position, inshallah. Now, now, of course, now staying in the field of or on the topic of journalists, you know, recently we've seen that there's been increased intimidation of journalists in South Africa, specifically those who have, uh, you know, covered uh, the uh, issue of state capture to a large degree and, you know, what's going on with the Gupta leaks. And uh, specifically what's been quite shocking to see is the protest last week by the Blackford land first movement outside the home of Peter Bruce. Uh, I know Sanif today was also saying they are planning to take legal action. From uh, what perspective have you been covering this issue? Yes, absolutely. You know, like you correctly point out, the uh, Black First, Land First movement have been making headlines for all the wrong reasons. The South African Human Rights Commission uh, actually on Monday expressed their concern at the intimidation of journalists uh, at the hand of the movement. Uh, there was actually a statement that they released which condemned the threats of the movement to uh, uh, protest outside the homes and even places of worship of some of the uh, members of yeah, um, We know that the unfortunate tragic passing um, <clears throat> of a journalist Sun Center um, earlier on, um, I think a few weeks ago, was uh, absolutely tragic for uh, the entire uh, media fraternity. Uh, we know that uh, she was doing sterling work, an individual of immense integrity, also part of the SABC 8, uh, one of the individuals, uh, unfortunately, who come to depression after a long, long time. And um, when we're looking at all of these um, instances, it's really brought up the question of a free press uh, as the cornerstone of a constitutional democracy. And uh, we know that any attempt to threaten or even intimidate the media, and as uh, the South African Human Rights Council has said themselves, is an attack on democracy and the violation uh, of this constitution in and of itself. And um, the South African Human Rights Commission, uh, Section 15 of the constitution, actually guarantees freedom of uh, religion, belief, and opinion as well. So the threats that have been issued by the Black First Land First movements uh, to protest at uh, the homes, outside the homes of journalists, has actually infringed uh, grossly on these rights. So uh, the Human Rights Council have actually called on the movement to respect the, the rights of the media, the freedom of expression, which is so deeply enshrined in our constitution as well. And uh, you made mention uh, of the fact that many uh, of the uh, Black First Land First uh, movement members uh, went to the house of Peter Bruce in Johannesburg weekend, demanding that he stop writing about the uh, Gupta family. Uh, the Business Day editor, Tom Cohen, uh, actually uh, arrived at Bruce's house, he was also reportedly manhandled by the angry mob. So this has become an increasing issue. Uh, the BLF movement have also issued a statement of their own in which they've listed other uh, white journalists whom they say were next on their list. You know,
majority people uh, from uh, eyewitness news, uh, individuals from the Amabungane Mail and Guardian Investigative Unit, uh, News 24 columnist Max Dupree is one of them as well. So really is a worrying trend. Uh, we also spoke about the fact that SANEF uh, has now gotten involved, the South African National Editors Forum, um, actually earlier uh, on today, uh, filed an urgent application against the BLF movement and its founder, uh, Andilev Kutama, uh, at the High Court in Johannesburg following their uh, intimidatory acts against journalists reporting uh, on issues of state capture. So this is becoming an increasingly worrying trend. It's becoming a cause for concern at many levels, especially the fact that private spaces of journalists, of individuals in the media, are now being invaded uh, by uh, individuals that feel or rather differ in terms of opinion and ideology. So um, we will be monitoring, for, monitoring it from our perspective as well and, and, and looking at how things progress in the forthcoming days, especially now with the fact uh, that uh, legal action could be taken and uh, we'd like to see how that progresses. Mm, and I think uh, more concerning as well, of course, is the death of Suna Fainter, one of the SABC 8 journalists. Uh, uh, the memorial was held today and just hearing the level of uh, violence and intimidation that she was exposed to and, and you know, how that affected her and the trauma and the stress it placed on her, which you know, ultimately led to her demise. I mean, that was quite sad to, to read as well. Um, but moving on to another issue, of course, KZN's medical health crisis. Uh, that is definitely a big issue at the moment. I know that uh, the uh, many uh, posts for doctors have been frozen. Uh, people, uh, there have been many job cuts at the moment and unhappiness o- about the overtime for some doctors. Uh, can you, you know, sketch us some detail as to what is exactly uh, is the extent of the chaos in KZN's health facilities? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, the South African Society for uh, Psychiatrists, uh, because this is actually a mental health crisis in KZN and it's been on the brink of disaster for a number of months now and I think as the months tick on uh, the patients of the, of the practitioners uh, themselves actually worse than because it's, it seems as if they've been trying to approach government for uh, the longest time and uh, been unable to get any sort of relief from them. So uh, Professor Barnard van, uh, Jansi van Rensburg uh, who is the president of the South African Society for Psychiatrists has actually said that mental health facilities in KwaZulu-Natal are in a critical situation and if not attended to this could actually disastrous not just for practitioners but for patients as well uh, he also said that a massive specialist staffing crisis existed in the province where only 20 uh, of the 45 specialist posts were actually filled at this point in time and since we have people with um, complex uh, psychological conditions specialists are required the entire year through and uh, it's very unfortunate that uh, this sort of issue is now taking place uh, in a supplementary response two questions uh, by the, the official opposition the health department said it had allocated uh, a lot of money to a psychiatric care for the 2017-2018 financial year and of the money that has been allocated NGOs have received just over 16 uh, million rand so there's about 26 psychiatrists practicing uh, in the province for about 19 different healthcare facilities. Now, five of these facilities have no psychiatrists currently. Uh, two have a visiting psychiatrist once a week, while the rest have between one and four uh, psychiatrists among them. So when we're looking at the shortage uh, in the province, when we're looking at the fact that there's 
many individuals that have specialized conditions and require specialized help for these uh, conditions. Um, it really is uh, disastrous at this point in time, seeing as people have to be turned away and are unable to receive the type of treatment that they so need. Um, Charlene Sanskal, who is the program manager uh, of uh, advocacy and development at the uh, South African Federation for Mental Health, has said that the lack of psychiatrists actually directly affects the mental health care uh, users who require these specialist services, just like the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, who say that now the concern has moved from the fact that we have a shortage to what happens to patients uh, at this point in time, people that are being turned away, where exactly to, do they go to, where exactly do they turn to as well. So uh, in the part of the Premier of the province, uh, Willis Tuno, um, he has actually said, or his spokesperson has said that budget cuts were the cause uh, of the department's troubles. And this is not the first time we've heard about this issue of budget cuts uh, within departments, not just in KZN, but across the country. However, uh, government is currently at this point in time coming under immense scrutiny uh, from healthcare providers and healthcare practitioners uh, in the province saying that the simple uh, issue or the simplistic argument of budget cuts is not good enough because patients are being turned away, it's becoming a crisis and of course it's going to be inflated over the, uh, the forthcoming months as well. So definitely something needs to be done about this sooner rather than later. All right, and then lastly, let's look at the spate of more robberies. I know that has been a continuous uh, crime issue plaguing KZN. Um, I believe a, a kingpin that was quite sought after has finally been arrested. Tell us a bit more about that. Yes, uh, in, um, in the Durban, over the course of the last month, let's say two months, uh, there's been a spate of more robberies targeting high-end jewelry dealerships, targeting uh, other high-end businesses uh, in uh, affluent suburbs across the province. And uh, the king behind the spate of these uh, robberies across the city was actually apprehended and arrested on Monday night. Uh, the man, along with an accomplice, also connected to the smash-and-grab raids uh, on these high-end stores, uh, was arrested by detectives from the initial mall robbery task team, a special unit that was put together to probe these incidences. Uh, police spokesperson Brigadier Jay Naika said that the arrest followed an intelligence-driven operation uh, by the various uh, police units as well. Uh, in recent weeks, there have been, I think, just over a dozen more robberies with uh, gangs zero, zeroing in uh, on jewelry and clothing uh, as well as cell phone stores specifically. So some of the malls that have been targeted are the Pearls Mall, Musgrave Center, the Atrium, Southway Mall, and there have also been other unconfirmed reports of incidents at uh, Gateway Theatre of Shopping, uh, the Scottborough Mall, the Galleria Mall, uh, Bluff Towers, Pavilion, Westwood Mall. So these are areas that are extremely well known. They're frequented by a lot of consumers across Kuzulu Natal and definitely a cause for concern. Uh, Kuzulu Natal Acting Provincial Commissioner Major General Becky Langa on Tuesday had welcomed the arrest saying that the new unit that has been established, the Provincial Mall Robbery Task Team, has done excellent work uh, working around the clock to trace the suspects identified during these uh, investigations as well. So he has also appealed to the larger community, the community at large, telling them that if they are aware of goods being stolen, if they are aware of individuals being involved in this sort uh, of criminal activity, that it's imperative that they do bring it to the knowledge uh, of the SAPS as well, as it can uh, assist, and it is these spots that do assist in making uh, the arrests that they do need to make. So uh, some good news there for the citizens of KZN and, of course, for the businesses that have fallen victim uh, to the space of, space of robberies.
And uh, any comments on the ANC's national conference? Of course, that's the trending thing uh, this past week and uh, many journalists finding themselves at the Nazrik building uh, to follow the discussions around the ANC's policies. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've been following the issue um, uh, most recently of the idea of power sharing between Nkosa uh, Zanad uh, Lamini Zuma and uh, Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa and the ANC themselves are still divided on this particular issue. Uh, President Jacob Zuma has thrown his weight behind the proposed power sharing deal uh, between the two, but his supporters at this point in time still seem uh, divided on the matter um, the, at the policy conference currently happening at Nasdaq, uh, as you point out. Um, the KZN chairperson, Sishle um, Zikalala, proposed a compromise deal, which would see any one of the two presidential candidates basically becoming deputy president should he or she lose to the other in the race for the top spot. So according to him, he believes that uh, this would prevent a, a, a bloodbath, as he says it, and uh, a possible split after the party's elective conference in December as well. However, it hasn't been received well by a number of key role players within the party themselves uh, who feel that <coughs> this power-sharing uh, agreement uh, could not work. There needs to be a clear-cut winner. It needs to be a decisive uh, move that is made by the party and one that cannot uh, afford to be shrouded in any more mystery. There's too many uh, internal, uh, or rather there's too much internal uh, factionalism going on uh, within the ANC. The party is deeply fragmented at this point in time. And uh, just listening to commentators and political analysts, I think, over the course of the past few days, um, comment on the fact that the party itself has a lot of rebranding to do. I mean, post-1994, uh, the African National Congress has lost a significant proportion of its support uh, across the country, nationwide, and they've also lost uh, a large uh, number of supporters from amongst the youth, and this is something that they need to get back. And, uh, of course, this, this issue of cronies, uh, cronyism uh, of the uh, capitalist uh, political <coughs> agenda that we are seeing uh, at this point in time, issues of state capture, all of these coming to the fore. We're also seeing a more uh, highly politicized um, uh, youth in South Africa that are getting involved in political issues that are now becoming familiar with the political rhetoric. Uh, it's becoming more difficult for politicians to say things and not be held accountable for it. Uh, young people are utilizing every opportunity that they possibly can to hold their leaders to account. And this is something that, of course, the ANC, uh, like many parties, in an attempt to uh, preserve uh, their positions have to take into cognizance. So I think it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting few days, but uh, also looking towards the elective conference in Durban, I mean, uh, in December, that's going to be even more interesting. On that note, we're going to leave it there. Shukran so much to you, uh, Mohammed, for joining us on the show this evening. And uh, we'll connect again next week uh, on Tuesday, inshallah. Uh, for the weekend, all the best. Assalamu alaikum. Shukran, always a pleasure being in your company, Tasneem, and the company of the listeners of Voice of the Cape. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well, we're going to leave the show there for this evening. Shukran so much to both my guests, Malina Suleiman and uh, Mohammed Sheikh from now wearing his hat at CRI Radio Base in KZN. Good to hear from both of them this evening. Uh, shukran so much to you for listening in to the show tonight. I'm back next week, Tuesday. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Editors Forum. Media through a Muslim lens.